this morning to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, you should find it on page 1238. Galatians 4. Patrick helped me out there as he walked out uh, with this opening illustration that I have today. Um, as many of you know, Patrick was born uh, a little bit earlier than we planned, not any earlier than God planned, but seven weeks earlier than we planned. So this time, three years ago, we didn't know it, but we were getting ready for about a seven-week stay in the hospital while we waited for him to be born and then waited for him to get strong enough to come home. There were several hurdles that he had to overcome in his early days. One of them had to do with his, his breathing. Um, we don't typically think about it. I'd never really put much thought into it until we were there in the NICU with him, but it actually takes a lot of coordination for our bodies to, to do all these things at once that they do, like digesting food and regulating body temperature and, and breathing all at the same time. Uh, it's, it's not easy for our bodies to do all those things. They have to learn how to do them. When you're that little, your body's not quite developed enough to do all that on its own, so that's why you need all the help. You need the isolate to help you regulate the body temperature, and you need the feeding tube to help you digest food without wasting more calories than you take in. And in Patrick's case, and in the case of many children, you need some oxygen and some help breathing. We're thankful that he could get the help he needed. Um, I was thinking about that this week. There was a time in his life when we would sit next to his little isolate and watch every single breath go in and out of his body. There was a time when he was hooked up to all kinds of wires that were connected to alarms that would go off if his blood oxygen level dipped too low, which it did sometimes. And now, of course, breathing is second nature for him. Uh, we sometimes joke that he's going to pass out because he can't stop talking long enough to take a breath. Um, breathing is necessary for human life. That's not uh, world-class information there, but it's, it's helpful for us to remember that. It's one of the first things that doctors check for when we come into the world. For the vast majority of our life, however, we don't think about breathing. It's absolutely essential to life, but it's something that we don't think an awful lot about. It's just something we do while we're eating, while we're working, while we're sleeping. What I want us to see this morning is that as breathing corresponds to life, praying corresponds to spiritual life. Yet we don't often think of praying as if it were just as necessary as breathing, but it is. Let's read this morning Galatians 4. We're going to begin in verse 4. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray together. We thank You, God, for this wonderful truth that we hear in Your Word. Lord, each one of us, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, we are slaves to sin and orphans in this world.
And yet, God, You have worked to do all that's necessary to adopt us as Your own. And that adoption brings with it the privilege of being able to to come into Your presence and speak to You as a child would speak to a father. I pray, Lord, today that we would be amazed at this wonderful privilege we have and that we would be emboldened to make use of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just acknowledge right out of the gate this morning that um, prayer is something that many people have a lot of, of guilt about. I don't know where my little clicker is, Greg, so you're just going to have to click it for me back there. I don't. It's not time yet, but... Um, Many people have a lot of guilt concerning prayer. They feel like they don't pray enough. They feel like they don't pray well enough. These are uh, not just things I've heard other people say. These are things I have experienced myself. I am often dissatisfied with the frequency and quality of my own praying. I don't pray as much as I wish I did. Sometimes when I pray, my mind wanders. I stumble over my words. Um, so for many of us, despite our best intentions, we find that praying does not come naturally. What I, my, my point in telling you that story about Patrick, though, is to say that breathing doesn't really come naturally either. We, we think that it does because it's something we, we do nonstop without ever thinking about it. But breathing really doesn't come naturally. We might think it does, but when you visit a NICU, you find out that's not the case. Breathing is, not, is, is something we all had to learn how to do at one point in our life. Our bodies had to, to develop and learn how to breathe and also to regulate our body temperature and digest food and all those kind of things. Many people today, even though they may be grown, still need help breathing. Some people need inhalers or breathing treatments for asthma or COPD. Some people need CPAP machines to help them breathe while they sleep. Breathing is, is common, but that doesn't mean it always comes naturally. Prayer is the same way. It's meant to be an ordinary part of our life as followers of Christ, but that does not mean it comes naturally. It's something we all have to learn how to do, and it's something we all need help with. So genuine prayer is not natural. It's supernatural. It's something that God awakens and produces in us by His Spirit. Look again here at, at verse 6 in Galatians 4. Paul says, Because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God gives the Spirit to His children to awaken prayer in us. In Romans 8, Paul specifically connects the Spirit to prayer when he says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So I think it might be helpful if we try to wrap our minds around a very simple but biblical definition of prayer. I don't want to oversimplify it, but I'm also afraid that we often overcomplicate it. So here's a really broad definition of, of prayer. Prayer is God's children calling on His name. Prayer is when God's children call upon His name. Fundamentally, at its core, that's what prayer is. God's children calling on His name. Now, I'll explain what I mean by calling on His name in just a moment. But first, I want to show you why I think this is such a helpful way of defining prayer. 
So what I want to do is I want to just kind of take a step back and I'm going to give you several different scripture references and show you throughout the trajectory of history how over and over and over again you hear this emphasis on calling upon the name of the Lord. So we start in Genesis 4. After sin and death have come into the world, a son named Seth is born. This son is full of promise and hope. He comes into the world in the aftermath of great tragedy as Cain has murdered his brother Abel. And in response to Seth's birth, his mother Eve exclaims, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. In the very next verse, Genesis 4.26, it says, At that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. That's all the way back in Genesis 4. As soon as sin and death have come into the world, after that point it says, at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now many years later God would call out a man named Abram. Abram was this man, God said, I'm going to make a holy nation through you. I'm going to multiply your descendants. There were two big problems. Abraham was not holy. He was a, a pagan. He was a, an idol worshiper. And his wife was unable to have children. But God took him aside and said, I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendants. It was totally preposterous except for the fact that God was the one making the promise. And in response to that promise, Abram left his home and went where God told him to go. And Genesis 12, 8 says, And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And that phrase is used many times of Abram. Over and over again, he was someone who characteristically called upon the name of the Lord. Throughout the book of Psalms, we hear Abraham's descendants do the same thing. For example, Psalm 116 says, The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. I would encourage you sometime, just go, I, I typically go to esv.org. That's where I do a lot of my work, esv.org. And you can just search, call on the name of the Lord, or called on the name of the Lord, or called upon the name of the Lord. Just so those different variants. And you'll find many of them in the book of Psalms. Then come the prophets, and through the prophets, God begins to promise a day when not just Abraham's descendants, but all kinds of people are going to call on the name of the Lord. Joel 2.32, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, not, not just uh, Jews, but Gentiles, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Zechariah 3.9 They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. He's speaking there of the nations, the, the Gentiles. He's speaking about, he's, he's using the same words that God had used of Israel when He said, You will be my people and I will be your God. God said there's coming, there's coming a day when even the Gentiles will call upon my name. I will say they're my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. And then Zephaniah 3, verse 9. I love this. He says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples, and that word peoples is Gentiles, to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord. 
God said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to change their speech so that they will call upon my name. So one of the fundamental promises that God made through the prophets is that one day, not just Abraham's descendants, but all kinds of people would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But calling upon the name of the Lord is not just something that a person does at the moment they become saved. It's something that characterizes their new life as a child of God. Like breathing, it is something that, yes, we begin to do it at the moment of birth, but we don't stop doing it. We don't just breathe once and then that's it. If that happens, that's death. That's not life. But prayer is something, calling upon the name of the Lord is something that begins when we become a child of God and then it characterizes our life as His child. So back to that definition of prayer, it is God's children calling on His name. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? This is helpful for us to ponder together today. Because it would be easy to, to hear that. For example, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what does that mean? It just means we have to say His name uh, and then we'll be saved? Of course not. It's, it's more than simply invoking His name. In fact, think about what was one of the commandments that God gave to the people of Israel. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So don't call upon my name in vain, in, in ordinary or profane ways. There are many people who say God or Jesus Christ when they stub their toe or get cut off in traffic. Or they talk about God or Jesus Christ when they're trying to get people to vote for Him. That's not calling upon the name of the Lord. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. To call on the name of the Lord means that you have a relationship with Him. That's why you can call Him by name. And it means that we're calling on Him to act in accord with His character, to come through on His promises. That's what God's name is about. You think about someone who talks about my good name, or they might say that person has a good name, or that person doesn't have a good name in this community. That's not just about their name, that's about their character. And when we talk about God's name, we're talking about His character. We're talking about what has He said. Is He someone who's trustworthy? Does His name mean something? It means that we're, taking, we're, we're not making up whatever ideas about God that we'd like to imagine. It means that we're taking God on His own terms. We're listening to what He has said about Himself. And then we're asking Him to act in accord with what He has revealed. God has spoken to us and He invites us to listen and then to speak back to Him. So I, I want us just to consider the privilege that we have in prayer. The very God of the universe, the one who created and sustains and upholds all things, the ruler and judge of all the earth, He invites us to call upon Him. He does not do so begrudgingly. He's not annoyed by your prayers. He doesn't say, you know what, I've got other things that I have to worry about right now. I know that you're really concerned about this thing. You know, your dog's got a growth or something like that. And, but I've got this war in the middle, of, middle East that I've got to worry about. No. God has the capacity to care for both of those things at the same time. Infinitely. So He's not annoyed. He's not put off. 
by, by any concern, no matter how big or how small. He commands us. He doesn't just invite us. He commands us to humble ourselves under His mighty hand, casting all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. And this privilege of prayer has been purchased for us by the life and death and resurrection of God's own Son. There is one mediator between God and man, and His name is Christ Jesus. You don't need to go through anyone else. You don't have to go to God through a pastor or any other believer. If you want to talk to God, you don't have to drive up here one day and say, Matt, can you, you know, patch me into God? <laughs> you don't have to approach Him through a dead saint. We have a living Mediator, We have a living high priest who is seated at the right hand of God at this very moment. We have access to the presence of God by the way that Jesus opened for us by His blood. And just in case we might feel uneasy or unwelcome or unqualified to enter His presence, God's own Spirit ushers us in to God's presence and helps put words in our mouth. Prayer is enabled by God's Spirit who dwells within God's children. It's the Spirit who prompts us to call on God's name. As Paul says again here in verse 6, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit in us that prompts us to call on God as our Father. This is not meant to be something we only do once or even once in a while. It's meant to be a routine part of our life, just like breathing. So we have a few misconceptions, I think, about, about prayer. Um, one is that we think that it's something we have to perfect, that we have to get good at before we can really be comfortable doing. Um, Patrick, you know, as I said, he had difficulty breathing when he was born, but he still breathed. Uh, no, nobody came along and said, okay, little buddy, you know, wait until you can breathe really well and then start breathing. If he had done that, he would have died, right? That would be absolute nonsense to say, wait until you're good enough at it and then start breathing. The way to learn how to breathe better is by breathing, even if you do so imperfectly. And as you develop and mature, you can learn to do more advanced things with your breathing. Uh, there's an awful lot more that I can do with my breath than Patrick could do when he was in the isolate. For one thing, I'm preaching a sermon right now. I'm doing that with my breath. A few minutes ago, I sang a song. There are people who can play instruments with their breath. There are people who can auctioneer with their breath. There are lots of things we can do that come through maturity, but there is still a basic continuity between what a preemie is struggling to do in a NICU and what a professional auctioneer is doing with his voice. There's a, there's a continuity there. Both of them are breathing. One of them has mastered it a bit more than the other, but they're both breathing. And the same is true with prayer. You can mature. You can get more comfortable doing it. But we don't have to pray perfectly before we can simply pray. Another misconception we have about prayer is that we treat it as a kind of emergency provision uh, rather than an ordinary part of life. There are certainly times in our life when we might call out to God in the midst of great urgency and distress and panic. The difficulty that we often have is when life settles down and gets back to, quote, normal. Those are the times when we might find more difficulty praying because there's very little urgency. 
One way we could say it is that prayer is an expression of our dependence upon God. As we sang a few moments ago, I need thee every hour. Not just once in a while, not just when I'm sick or when I'm down, but every hour. For many of us then, the more we feel that we have everything together, the less, like we are, the less likely we are to pray. Because we're not going to feel like we really need God right now. I got this. I can handle this. If I feel that way, then I'm not going to call on God's name. And so we kind of treat prayer like an antibiotic that we only take when we have an infection. And as soon as we get better, as soon as the problem goes away, we stop taking the antibiotic. Prayer is not meant to be an occasional remedy that we take when things get really bad. It's, both, it's supposed to be more like breathing, something that we do every day that sustains life. Now, again, my goal is not to make you feel more guilty about your prayer life or lack thereof. So I, I've felt that tension in my own soul this week acutely as I want to, on the one hand, talk to you about the necessity of praying and the, the privilege and gift of praying. But I also know that as you hear that, you might start beating yourself up and saying, okay, well, yeah, great. God's given me this wonderful privilege, but I actually don't ever make use of it. So now I just feel bad about myself. Um, I don't want us to do that today because that's not going to be productive or constructive in any way. So, it might be, it might be that you need a kick in the pants this morning. Um, but what you don't need is, is just to feel guilty, just to feel bad about yourself and walk away saying, oh, poor pitiful me. So, I want to try to give you some practical ideas that I hope will help to jumpstart your prayer life. These are some things that might help you get the engine running a bit, little bit better. First, begin with God's Word. Begin with God's Word. So you, you can think about it like this. When we breathe in God's Word, the natural outcome is breathing out prayer. So if you're not breathing out, the solution may not be to try harder to breathe out, but the solution might be to start with breathing in. I'll give you an example of, of how this works practically. Last week I was trying to memorize Romans 11, 33 through 36, the, the memory verse that we worked on in Sunday school last Sunday. So I was trying to memorize that. I was pacing around, uh, quoting it to myself. I tell you, if there was a security camera, if somebody ever hit a camera up here, they would probably get a good laugh at me in my office some days, or even in here, because I'll pace around in here sometimes. So I'm pacing around trying to memorize Romans 11, 33 through 36, and I'm, I'm saying it to myself, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And I'm trying to remember that. Oh, the depth and the riches, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. I'm saying it over and over and over again. And I got to thinking about, well, okay, well, what's the difference between the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God? Because those things sound a lot alike. So I got to thinking about what's the difference between the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God? Well, the knowledge of God is the fact that He, he knows all things. He, he, you know, he's, he's omnipotent. There's, there's nothing He does not know. But His wisdom refers to the fact that 
He, already, he always knows the right thing to do because you can know all things, but you may not always know the right thing to do. And so that's what God is. He's all-knowing, but He's also all-wise. He, he has all information, but He also has all wisdom. And so I was meditating on God's Word, and the natural response was to praise Him for being so wise. It just kind of happened. And so when we breathe in God's Word, it helps us to breathe out prayer. So... If you struggle with prayerlessness, rather than trying to will yourself to pray more, why not do that? Why not take a verse or a paragraph of Scripture and let it prompt you in the direction of prayer? So a really practical way you might do that is you know, whatever uh, passage that we read together on Sunday morning or something along those lines you know, throughout the week, you might just try to take that and you know, maybe one verse or something like that, and you just, you know, write it on a note card, put it on your mirror, uh, try to memorize it, or just read it over and over, or something along those lines, and then allow that to, to sort of prompt you into prayer. The second thing, second practical idea I have for you is to make use of mindless activities. Make use of mindless activities. What I mean is we all have things we have to do every week, that don't require a lot of complicated brain power when we could easily multitask. So if you are in calculus, this is probably not the time to try to work on your prayer life when you're trying to do calculus. Um, if you're a brain surgeon, by all means, please focus on brain surgery uh, while you're doing brain surgery. But when you're driving, I mean, think about how often you drive and you realize, well, I've been thinking about all kinds of other things besides just driving. Um, cutting grass, there's not a lot of complicated brain power in that. Folding laundry, emptying the dishwasher, feeding the dog, whatever, you name it. It's, those aren't things that require a lot of our attention or focus, right? A lot of times we do those things with the radio in the background or the TV going, so my suggestion is simply repurpose that time for prayer. Instead of only listening to the radio or listening to or having the TV going in the background, listen instead to a worship album or, or, or sing a hymn. Take a hymn that we sang today and just say, okay, this week when I fold the laundry, I'm going to sing It Is Well With My Soul or whatever it may be. Take that song and turn it into a prayer to God. There's nothing wrong with that as long as the song is sound in biblical content, it can be really helpful aid to stimulate prayer. I'll give you an example of this. This happened this past Thursday morning. I dropped Patrick off at school. I was driving to church, and I was listening to this song in my car. It's the newer hymn, and I, I found myself just really kind of gripped by these words. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see His wounds, His hands, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid Him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. So I'm listening to that song, I'm singing the words of that song, and what it did was it helped give me both the will to pray and the words to pray. 
Songs of praise can help us in both respects. They can help give us the will to pray. If you take a song, as long, again, as long as it's communicating sound biblical truth, and you don't just kind of sing it mindlessly, but you sing it to God, turn it in, that's, that's prayer. So that gives you both the will to pray and the words to pray. That's, that's one practical suggestion. Number three, mind your posture. Mind your posture. So I'm not, you know, third grade teacher here saying sit up straight or anything like that. There is no right posture in prayer. You can pray while you're sitting, while you're standing, while you're laying down, while you're walking, driving, running, swimming, fill in the blank. You can have your eyes open. You can have them closed. Although if you're driving, walking, or running, I would suggest keeping them open. Uh, you can have your hands folded by your side or in your pockets or on the steering wheel. This doesn't mean that we have to get, you know, get down on our knees by the bed and all you know, do our hands like this. There's no right posture to prayer. With that said, however, I would encourage you, trial and error, find a quiet place, get yourself into a posture that will help you focus. Because there are certain postures that we can get ourselves into that will either distract us or help us to focus. So for some, I've known some people who they will literally kneel down or even lie face down on the floor. Uh, I don't like doing that. It's uncomfortable. And all I can think about is how uncomfortable I am and when can this be over. So personally, I have found there are two ways, two postures that work for me. The first is sitting upright in a chair, eyes closed, feet flat on the floor, hands folded on my lap. There's something magical that happens when I sit in a chair like that and I close my eyes and I just kind of breathe and I pray I can focus. Now, some people would do that and they'd fall asleep. If that's you, don't do that. The other posture, it doesn't just have to be sitting. The other posture that works for me, I've already hinted at it, is pacing around in a room uh, with my eyes open, but just kind of on the floor. So I'm just kind of walking around the room, you know, and again, somebody would probably walk in and think I was Rain Man or something like that. But I'm just kind of pacing around, looking at the floor, and I'm just, you know, whispering to myself, whispering to God. Rebecca sometimes thinks I talk to myself, but that's okay. There is no right posture, but you should consider how do my surroundings and how does my posture promote either focus or distraction? That's one more suggestion. Then the last one is remember who you are. Remember who you are. If you are a child of God, then you are not a slave. You are an heir. You are an heir to all the promises of God. You are an heir to an eternal inheritance in Christ. I'm not, I'm not talking about name it and claim it here. I'm not saying you can name and claim whatever you want. But I am saying that if you are a child of God, you can have confidence that God cares for you and He wants you to cast your cares upon Him. You are not a nuisance to Him. There is no concern too small. And if you are a child of God, prayer is your God-given right. It is a privilege purchased for you by the blood of Jesus, and God helps you by His Spirit. 
So there's no need to say, well, I don't feel worthy. I feel too guilty or I haven't prayed you know, in a while. You just have to do it because God says you can and because He says you should and because He says you are my child. I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. I want you to cast your cares upon me because I care for you. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. This is our opportunity to respond to God's Word. And uh, obviously I want you to think about some of those practical suggestions that you might try. But there's a sense in which that, that last one is the most foundational. What I mean by that is, if you're not a child of God, then you're right to feel awkward when you pray. Because you're coming to one whom you're rebelling against. And so it starts there. It starts with, do I have a relationship with God? If I do, then there's no reason why I should feel unworthy or unwelcome or uneasy because God says I'm welcome. He invites me and commands me to come into His presence. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're concerned about that, I'd love to speak with you or pray with you this morning. Um, let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for what you have done, God, to, to make it possible for us to be your children. Lord, as we read this morning in Galatians 4, that when the fullness of time had come, you sent forth your Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And not only did you send your Son into the world, but you've also spent, sent your Spirit into our hearts, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and so, Lord, we're, we're thankful for that truth. I pray, God, that every one of us today would, would reckon with that. Lord, uh, examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And God, that if we're your children, that, that you would remove all guilt, all feelings of unworthiness and unwelcomeness. And God, that we would see that we have this wonderful privilege to come before you and to lay all of our burdens and concerns upon You because You care for us. God, help us today now as we have this time of response. But Lord, help us also, not just in this time, but this week, that we would begin to develop habits that would honor You and that would, uh, God, that we would confess and express our dependence upon You through prayer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.